most weeks in your in your week you mean apart from bible study with barbara on a friday okay yeah uh, yeah, yeah. I, I love playing tennis uh, i love catching up with the family because there's quite a few of them so that takes up quite a lot of time and i'm sort of embarrassed to say i really like going to court okay <laughs> uh, which part of the court are you sitting in uh, i'm i'm a defender if it's criminal and i'm uh, either a plaintiff or a defendant's lawyer if it's uh, family law which is what i do Okay, thank you. Well, we're looking forward to hearing from you in a moment. And Chris, your full name is? Chris William Bannon. Fantastic. And what have you got by way of family? I have a son and a daughter, and then I have uh, four grandchildren. Okay, and are you married to anyone in particular? I have Barbara. Who's <laughs> sitting in the front row here. Yes, my wife is uh, Barbara here in the front row. Okay, and how long have you been a part of St Matthew's? Uh, nearly three years. Um, yeah, it'll be three years probably in February. Mm. Right, and I know people have been very thankful to have you as a member of the congregation. For me, joining recently yeah. to see you as such a great contributor has been terrific. Hey, and what about, what about something that you look forward to each week? Well, um, we do have those four grandchildren. It's just wonderful to be able to look after them for about 18 hours per week. Wow. Yeah. And we, we love doing that. And also, I love the tennis as well as yeah. Pam. Mm. I understand it was really the grandchildren that brought you down from Queensland Absolutely, to Sydney. Absolutely, yes. Mm. Uh, it's been a blessing to be able to see how they're growing. And uh, the youngest one is three, the eldest is seven. So the four of them fit between three and seven. Wow, yes, very close. Really well, Chris, you and I are going to take a seat and uh, yep. Pam's yep. going to have the microphone for a little while. Check my watch, because I know Bruce doesn't like me going over time, once I get a mic. Anyway, when I was about seven, in the year dot, um, my father offered me five shillings to recite this. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, John, and Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. I hope I got that right. Thank you. Thank you. Why on earth did she do that, for goodness sake? We're talking about the New Testament. Those, it struck me over the last six weeks that this is a letter. It's a letter. And um, the books of the Old Testament, I only got three shillings, by the way, for the New Testament, um, the New Testament is virtually all letters. Um, I had a look last night in my Bible because our internet is down, so I couldn't do it that easily. And it seems to me, I could be corrected, that um, at least 21 of the 26 books of the New Testament are actually letters. They're all letters. So you go home and have a look later. You'll find at the beginning or in your concordance or something, it'll tell you uh, what they actually were. And they were letters. A lot of them were uh, by Paul, of course, as you know, and Peter and James. But it has struck me particularly that it's a letter. And there's a, there's a word game that um, some of you might know where there's a sentence on one side and there's a sentence on the other side, and you swap the words and you make another sentence. Well, I did that in my head. And it started off as being Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And then I thought, okay. And I thought, okay, Paul's letter to the people at Manly. Changed it. Changed a bit more. Paul's letter to St. Matthew's. Then I changed a bit more, and it was Paul's letter to Pam. And then I changed it and got ooh, quite a shock. 
It was actually Almighty God's letter to Pam. Whew. So I got a bit scared then, so I had another read of it, and it, it really is. It's so timeless. I mean, it's over 2,000 years, but it's saying the same things to us that seem to be perfectly acceptable now to think, oh, okay, this really is for me, or this is not for me, and I know we pick out the bits that we don't like and so on, but it's, it's quite amazing. And these, they're very intimate letters. They're intimate letters. Well, letters are intimate anyway. I mean, if you think of letters, and uh, I had a look um, on my internet when it was working, and I checked how many letters I had sent out last week. I think I sent out 165. But the problem with that is that I don't think anyone out of the 165 was delighted to get them. And nobody said, oh, we've got a letter from Pam. Mrs. Humphreys sent us another letter. Come and see what Mrs. Humphreys had said. Oh, this is a great one. We'll keep this. No, I don't think there was one, actually, which was a bit of a shame. Mind you, the letters I got back were pretty ghastly as well. <laughs> they weren't very complimentary. Not one, actually. They were quite antagonistic. They were very adversarial. Um, and some just plain rude. Some I found quite amusing. Some I ignored and some I responded to. But as you've heard, I'm a lawyer, so that explains it all. So it got me thinking about my letters and the ones I actually do send that are, not, uh, that are outside business. And um, I'm sure in our, this service, as opposed to uh, the other three, there are far more people here who have written letters over the years. There would be terribly sad letters in uh, the time of the war. There would be wonderful letters. We heard about Scott writing his love poems to his wife. And um, without giving away too much, we have a bundle of love letters at the top of our wardrobe. Um, which were very exciting to receive some 52 years ago. They're probably quite exciting now too. And I know my husband still loves me, and the reason I know that is he took me to see the film Downton Abbey this week, and he sat through it without a yawn or a grumble. So I thought that was pretty good. So you think about all the letters you get, and then I thought, well, what about the letters I send, or we send, because we... Mel and I send quite a lot of letters kind of together. And I thought um, it's pretty important that we do encourage each other because that's a lesson I've been getting from Thessalonians, the importance of Christian people actually encouraging each other, uh, both in St. Matthew's, in Manly, and particularly overseas. And we probably write a lot more letters overseas than we would. And you think about Paul's letters, how, how much of an effort it must have been for him to write letters I mean, he did it in prison. I don't know how he managed to get the, whatever they used, the, the paper and the pen and so on. Then he had to make arrangements to have it sent to, you know, Thessalonica, to uh, Ephesus, to Rome. That was just huge, that huge effort that he put in to encourage the, the Christians that he'd met um, on his travels or some that, of course, that he hadn't met. We don't know, um, we don't, it's, we're not told if he got letters in response I suspect he must have because he knew quite a lot about uh, the people he was talking to. He certainly knew when they failed because um, if you're a bit like me, you read on a bit and in uh, Second uh, Thessalonians he starts to say, well, are you falling away or so on. So he kept in touch. So he must have had letters or he must have had people coming to him. And so it was, it was, it was an effort and I thought, well, how much effort do I put into it? Uh, emails are quite easy. Um, I don't mind, I can write a letter pretty quickly, but a, a, a letter that you can actually feel 
and touch and see and smell, and it's, it's really something quite remarkable. And I would think that um, the people in, in lands far away, uh, our missionary partners and so on, would probably like um, letters. Um, I, I was thinking I don't write to Dave and Crystal Fell, for example. I don't write to the painters. Um, I don't write to the Harrodanes. Um, and I thought, well, they might want to get one. They don't know me, but they might want to get one saying that we're thinking of them or we're praying for them, more importantly. Um, a friend of my daughter's was in oh, terrible trouble, uh, I think it was about 10 days ago or two weeks ago. The family was just in a terrible state. Um, they had a, a dreadful drama, still continuing actually. I don't know the lady. Anyway, I phoned my daughter one day and I said, oh, I've been praying for her. And she said, well, have you told her? As daughters do. I said, no, I haven't actually. So I did write to her and I told her. And um, it was amazing the response I got that she was very thankful for the prayer and so on. I don't know if this lady is a Christian or not, but that gave me encouragement that I could do that kind of thing. Mind you, I think it's a lot easier to write letters than to actually confront people, um, although you do get a good reaction if you say, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. You wouldn't get such a good reaction if you were going to chastise, like, um, I'm not going to do that, by the way, like uh, Scott was saying last week, that he would prefer to take a funeral than uh, confront somebody in the church who is not doing what they should. Mal and I have lived on four different continents and over the years uh, a long way from family. Um, so we've had a lot of letters over the years, but we've, um, at the moment we're involved with quite a number of um, uh, pastors in Africa who we've, we've met over the years. Mal's much better at this than I am. He writes to them and encourages them and they write back and so on. We've met them, not coincidentally, it's absolutely been uh, planned by God. I remember the first um, one we met, a very large African man called Hesbon. And um, we were just sitting waiting for our dinner and he happened to uh, know our guide. So he came and uh, stood next to our guide and they, he sort of said, I think to Malcolm, are you a Christian? Yes. Oh, he got so excited. Are you born again? Yes, yes. Then he turns to me. Are you born again? Yes, yes. It got very exciting. So um, he then gave us his whole morning sermon before we had dinner, actually. Um, we've kept in touch with Hezbon over about 10 or so years, I think it is. And the encouragement for him and the encouragement for us has been absolutely phenomenal. Christians so far away, we don't see him very much. We do see him sometimes. In that time, I think he set up about six churches. Um, in the last two weeks, I think we got a, a, a letter from him saying that they were fasting. They always fast before their missions and um, that they were going to have a mission, I think it's this week, um, but they, were, they needed five pastors and two deacons to baptize all the people that they thought were going to be converted. So I thought, well, that's a terrific way to look at something when you're praying for people to come to know the Lord, and they were so convinced they were going to have to have five pastors to do that. Anyway, I diverse. There's another um, pastor who we know very well. His name is Guide, and um, he has a wife called Forgiveness. And as, as David would know, Africans really think about the names they're going to give their children. So they, um, his wife is Forgiveness, and his daughter is Genius. And I was extremely glad that my mother named me Pam because I didn't think I could live up to either of those. 
But in talking about letters, Malcolm, we were in London once, and Malcolm and I were going to see um, Guide. And uh, so Mal wrote a letter and said, would you like us to bring something? And thinking, you know, perhaps a new Bible or a box of chocolates or something. Tell me to wind up. And uh, we got a letter straight back saying, yes, please. I would like a chasuble and a mitre. And could you make the chasuble purple or gold? Now, put your hands up if you know what the chasuble is. Oh, well done, you guys. Uh, it's, it's the outer robe for a bishop, okay? It's a big, outer, heavy robe. So Mal said to me, what do we do about this? And I put on my best, it's your problem, mate, voice, and said, um, well, you asked him. I think you need to get it. So he scurried around uh, Westminster, or down these little lanes and everything, and he actually found a chasuble, and it was a purple one. And we took it, we took it to, uh, to guide. And he has worn it on many occasions and actually brought many people to the Lord whilst wearing it. It's just, uh, I, wish, I wish I had the screen there. I thought, oh, I wish I was computer literate and could do what you guys do. But I'm still on the old felt board they used to have at Sunday school, you know? So, I, and I couldn't, I didn't have time to rustle up a chessable. So, I think you get the message. We need to write to our brothers and sisters. This is what, this is what I did. An intimate letter from, um, from God to Pam. So I have been writing letters, little notes, but I'm going to put out a challenge for you. I have bought some cards. And anybody afterwards, not during the sermon, can come up and get a card from me quite pretty actually, some of them, quite nice. I want you to take the card and I want you to write to somebody to encourage them or to uh, tell them that you're praying for them. It doesn't matter if they're at St. Matt's, they don't have to be at St. Matt's, they don't have to be in Manly, they can be the other side of the world. But there's one condition I'd like, that you tell us what the response is. Because I know the response is going to be fantastic. So the more of you who take these, and I will note who does, I would just love you to um, tell us what you do with them after. Now, um, my time is up. I was going to read two passages to you, but inter interestingly enough, David read them. So I had exactly the same passages, David. We're of one mind. So God bless you all. That's a hard act to follow. <laughs> My word. Uh, St. Matt 8 a.m. as friends over the past three years that I've been a member of this church, it seems to me that we've been blessed with terrific teaching series in our sermons here at St. Matt's. Just look at the past few months with John's Gospel One Last Night series, the Book of Habakkuk from Fear to Faith series, and for the love of God, the movie series, just to mention a few. I've been enormously blessed by the Holy Spirit as a result of the series from 1 Thessalonians, Pleasing God While We Wait. Friends, this series is so significant to us 8AMers because it is so appropriate to our present situation as we wait for our Lord's return just like the Thessalonian church was expecting Jesus to return at any moment.
Therefore, how do we please God in our lives here in the 21st century, mainly Sydney, while we wait for Jesus' return? What really hit me between the ears and into my heart was how important are the words we speak? The words we speak in our lives from day to day, in our relationship with others, within our families and within our communities, are these words that please God? In our first sermon on the fledging church, Bruce said, are we in tune with the master? Remember, as Christians, if we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, we'll be living lives as genuine Christians, not fake believers. So, like Paul, what we speak will be words of power from the Holy Spirit and words of the living God. Friends, I take it that these words will be words of encouragement, like hope, love, peace, unity, instruction, wisdom, and correction. So let us learn to love well. I also was reminded by Bruce that what is greater is the gospel. So I asked myself, what am I putting first as a Christian before letting the gospel message go out to other believers in the community? And am I involved in gospel ministry? Well, the answer that the Holy Spirit hit me with was a bit of a shock to me. Friends, since hearing the series Pleasing God While We Wait, I've been really, I really realise that there are forms of church service that I have loved even above the gospel that they were designed to proclaim. I now know that was wrong. The proclamation of the gospel, according to St Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, holds first place. So I was able to see that as it was a sin and I confess that to the Lord and to others. I still love the services exactly as, they, as we have them now. However, I can accept that the gospel never changes, but human culture does change over time and space and geography. The gospel message must be constantly enculturated into its current context. We must go through the difficult process to proclaim the gospel effectively to the current and future audience we have been called to serve. Bruce also said, our joy is in serving our Lord. Friends, I come to see it's the work of the Holy Spirit and the church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to effectively proclaim the gospel in ways we can understand in today's culture. So if services are to change here at AAM from time to time because of the gospel's outreach, in this community, I think that those who do not know Jesus as Lord will be deeply challenged with the word in our services and enriched by the gospel message. And what a wonderful harvest we will have here in the kingdom of God here at St Manley's because of that. Another area that stood out to me in the church series was a question that was put to us all what does ministry that pleases God really look like? St Paul's example in chapter 2 is that we get up close and personal with people. Our motives are to be pure, not impure. 
We are not trying to please people with flattery. We are to work together to serve them alongside one another in the caring of them like a nursing mother, like a child, like an encouraging father. So let's show deep affection when we minister to others. Recently, you know, my wife Barbara was in hospital for two day, for five days. We really appreciated the prayers and the cards and the gifts, the food, the caring messages and the general love that our church showed to us during that unexpected event. So many people came forward to me to ask, how is she? How's Barbara getting on? Really, it was only a few Sundays that she missed here, but I could feel the love so strongly. How wonderful to have Christian brothers and sisters that care and a church that is so passionate about pastoral care in our community. The example was straight out of the book of 1 Thessalonians and what pastoral caring should look like in a church. I have really understood that fellowship with, with other Christians must be a priority for us. The example we heard from Scott called Growing in Faith and Love from 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3 was really a wonderful teaching. Scott explained to us that there is real joy in fellowship with one another. As we get to know each other, we can help each other grow in Christ and to persevere in this fallen world until our Lord returns. Another of Scott's sermons in the series was called Hope While We Wait. From 1 Thessalonians 4, Scott stated that while we wait, we are to be preparing to meet Jesus. If we're not doing this, we are going about waiting in the wrong way. Let's get rid of those silly bucket lists, he said, that we have before we die. Jesus is our only hope beyond the grave. We who believe in Jesus have hope in the face of death. We will have upgraded bodies, he said, to look forward to when we rise and meet Jesus in the air. So while we're alive and wait, be awake, alert and sober and encourage one another. Let's please God in our relationships with one another. We also please God by pleasing his spirit and being full of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. Friends, what a wonderful God we serve. What great teaching we have here at St. Matt's. Let's find our joy in serving Jesus who has chosen us through his wonderful grace. Thank you. Well, um, to, uh, to Chris and to Pam, uh, we really appreciate the way that you've prepared uh, something of such great encouragement for us. What we're going to do now is we're going to stand. We're